Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. gospel reading this morning is from the gospel of Luke. It's the 16th chapter. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called them, called him in and asked him, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asks the second, how much, more, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Well, 
The master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. Jesus continued, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of God for the people of God. Have you ever walked or driven down a street and there were so many people there that you didn't see any of them? Have you ever gone to one of the festivals like Sternwheeler and there were so many people that you just turned your head ignoring everyone until suddenly, hey, there's John. Your friend is here. And you know what? If you go home, you may have a conversation with your spouse that goes something like this. I went to the festival today. Was anyone there? Only John. And of course that's a lie because there were probably 10,000 people there. But you only saw John, your friend. And that's the way people are. We don't really see anyone unless we've met them, we've spoken to them several times, and they've become our friend. As I've told many of you, I'll need to ask your name about five times before I can remember. Those of you who are visiting today, just don't take it personal. I just have trouble remembering names. But I think the only people who are really able to break that mold are used car salesmen, the types who remember everyone's name and face after a single introduction. But for the rest of us, you know, names quickly disappear. Faces fade more slowly, but they still fade. And if we see someone in a new situation, we probably don't recognize them. Shortly after Jesus had spoken to a group of Pharisees who had muttered negatively about him eating with sinners, and Jesus had responded with the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coins, Jesus turned to his disciples and he told them this parable. Now, to understand this parable, we first need to understand that most rich men employed a man known as a steward to manage that estate. He wasn't usually paid a salary, but instead, custom had it that the man received a nice place to live, good food, and was expected to skim a small amount of all the monies and goods that passed through his hands. It was part of the deal that was made for him to be the steward. That skimming was part of the deal. Now another thing we have to understand is that this story was told far before the development of modern accounting. That only developed in the 1400s. The master could not check the accounting books because there were no books kept. So in Jesus' story, there was this rich man who was a steward. Someone accused the steward of wasting the possessions of the rich man, so he was called in. And the rich man asked him, What's this I hear about you? 
Tell me about your management because you can no longer be my steward. Notice that he's already fired him without an investigation. Well, the manager thought to himself, what shall I do now? I've been fired, but I'm not strong enough to become a common laborer on a farm, and I'm ashamed to beg. And he finally figured out what to do so that men would help welcome him into their homes. He decided to make friends by using what authority he still had to cut the debts of, of his suppliers. He called in each of the debtors, how much do you owe my master? And notice the steward had to ask. He didn't have any account books to refer to and he really didn't know. So yeah, he probably was mismanaging things, wasn't he? The first man replied, I owe him 900 gallons of olive oil. And the steward told him, take a piece of paper, quickly make it 450 gallons. And the second was also asked, and he said, I, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat. The steward said, make it 800 bushels. The assumption is that the steward did this with several other men. Well, the master found out. Was he angry? Well, maybe. But he commended the dishonest steward. He's, he gave him a pat on the back because he had acted shrewdly. And Jesus says, you know, that, you know, those men who had the debts cut by the steward, they'd remember this when he came looking for a place to live for a while. And so he had made friends who owed him now. The rich man recognized the wisdom in this move, even if it had cost him. And then Jesus gives a commentary on the actions of the dishonest steward. Jesus said, The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. In other words, those who don't care a bit about God are better at dealing in business than holy people are. Jesus then gives a bit of advice. He says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when that wealth is gone, you'll be welcome into eternal dwellings. There are two conclusions we can draw from this comment. First, worldly wealth should be used to make friends. And secondly, in some way, making friends with our wealth in this life leads us to be welcome into eternal dwellings after our deaths. If you think about it, you know, there's only four things that we can do with our earthly wealth. First, we can buy necessities, things that keep us alive or help us continue to earn money. Food and shelter, utilities, clothing, maybe a car and gasoline. Second, we could buy luxuries. Those are things that make us more comfortable. Nice furniture, nice cars, a nice home, large TV, plenty of cable channels, art, decorations, you get the drift. Third, we can store our wealth for the future. In Jesus' time, this meant putting grain in barns. Today it means saving in banks or retirement accounts, or if you've just got a little bit, put it in a piggy bank. And fourth, we can use our wealth to help others, which buys us friends, both on earth and in heaven. So how do you use your wealth? You know, thinking about what goes into the different uses of wealth requires some hard thinking about the difference between a necessity and a luxury. For this is where the world would like to convince us all that almost everything is a necessity. Let's look at a couple examples. A smartphone 
today is just about a necessity. So much requires checking online or using an app that you really do have to have a smartphone of some sort. But is an iPhone at a cost of $1,000 needed? Or can you get by with a much cheaper Android, say a $400 Android? Another example is food. You know, chicken is a lot cheaper than steak. Yeah, you need protein, and yes, definitely your kids need protein, but you know, ribeyes are a luxury. The next area where we have to think carefully is in the home. We all want a comfortable home. It's a feathered nest that is warm and cozy and looks nice. But the question that we need to go home with today is this. When is our nest feathered enough? A few years ago, Sandra and I realized that we had more than a dozen blankets in the house, and yet there were only two of us living in the home. We'd have the occasional grandchildren visit, and that brought us four overnight guests. We really didn't need those extra blankets, so we took them to Goodwill, and there they went to people who really needed the extra blankets. And the same with extra furniture and chairs and shoes and coats. We had acquired a bunch of this about 15 years ago because it wasn't unusual for us to have 20 of the college students out to our home on Friday night when we lived outside Marietta. But now it is unusual for us to have even four visitors. So for the last few years, we have been shedding furniture and clothing and even, even books. For one of the early church fathers pointed out that a man who has two sets of sandals has effectively stolen a set of sandals from the man who's barefoot because he can't afford sandals. That's from the time when everything was handmade. Now, in our time of plenty, this isn't literally true, but you know, we might seriously think about how many sets of shoes, how many coats, how many blankets we really need and give away the rest. So the question is whether to continue to feather our nests, to fill up our retirement accounts, or to become generous, giving things away to make friends. Jesus told us, that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And then he asks us the question, if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And the implication is that there are things that are much more valuable than silver or gold or diamonds, more valuable than prime rib, than iPhones, than even gasoline. But what are these true riches? It's the true riches that come to the truly humble followers of Jesus. A friend who loves you is worth more than a, day, than a duly diesel pickup truck. Peace in your home is worth more than the largest and finest television system complete with Dolby surround sound. A sound night's sleep is worth more than many sets of clothing. A loyal spouse is more valuable than many rubies or diamonds. And the smallest eternal home in the presence of God is worth far more than the largest earthly mansion. Only those people who truly have an understanding of both earthly wealth 
and power, as well as the eternal promises of God, can have true riches. It's been recognized by many people that the late Queen Elizabeth II understood the weight of the crown that she wore, the great responsibilities associated with her and her behavior, and she knew that she would never, ever give up that crown as her uncle had when he chose to marry Wallace Simpson an American divorcee because she had seen the damage that event caused her country. And so she relied upon her faith and position as head of the Church of England to guide her to lean heavily on the power of Jesus and God to keep her going well into her 90s. And so the story has been circulating, we don't know if it's true or not, that she desperately wanted Jesus to return soon as she allegedly said, so I can throw this crown at his feet. Earthly wealth and power are not true riches. Jesus also said during this teaching, you know if you haven't been trusted worthy with someone else's property, who'll give you property of your own? And the natural tendency is to think that this refers to working for another person, taking care of that property well enough so someone will give us property of our own. Maybe if we manage a restaurant well, one day we'll convince a bank to give us money to set up our own restaurant. Maybe driving truck well for another will one day convince a bank to loan us the money for our own truck. Maybe selling cars for a dealership well will ultimately lead us to have our own car dealership. You can fill in the blank for whatever type of business you're involved with. But did you ever think deeper? For every piece of property on this earth is on loan to us from God. We're the stewards of everything on planet earth. If you think that you own your home, your five acres, your car, try selling them the day after you die. And you'll find that that home and that property that car were just leased to you during your lifetime by God. Everything on earth is God's property. The property of our own mentioned awaits us in the eternal life if we're good stewards of God's property in this life. Jesus asks us to make friends with our earthly wealth so that we'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So practically, how do we do this? We know that Jesus wants us to go to all people and baptize them and teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. And so we're to use our wealth to make this happen. And that begins with making friends. When was the last time you made a new friend? Do you realize that most people are making new, make new friends the fastest when they get involved with a new group of people? Kindergarten is a great time to make friends, but I realize that most of you are well past that age. Maybe you can make friends with the other parents by getting involved with your children or grandchildren's school. People make new friends when they change schools and when they start new jobs. Some people work retail and make new friends every day. Have you met Jeremy, the guy with the big black beard who works down here at Dollar General? He's always making new friends. The key is to introduce yourself. You simply walk up to someone you know and say, Hi, I'm Brian. Of course, you might want to use your own name. Most people will respond with their name. And you can do that while you're in line at Kroger's or at Walmart or down at Piggly Wiggly or the Dollar General 
or at the local football game in the stands, or when your waitress stops by your table at the restaurant. Just introduce yourself and see if they introduce themselves. Okay, you found out their name's Fred. What do you say next? Ask them where they work. Which kids are theirs? Where they live? And if they've worked at that place for long, just whatever seems appropriate for the situation. Then tell them something similar about yourself. And soon you've made a new acquaintance. And there is a trick to this. I'll admit there's a trick. But the trick isn't complicated. We just have to assume that the person we're going to talk to is a friendly person. And you know, nine out of ten are because we aren't living in New York City. We're in West Virginia or Ohio. And that means that people here like to meet new people. So how does a person turn from an acquaintance to becoming a friend? It's really pretty straightforward. A lot simpler than you'd expect. We just have to speak to them on about five different occasions. That's all it takes. Have a short or long conversation with them every time you see them. And after about five conversations, the, you'll both know enough about each other that you'll consider each other to be friends. Notice you don't have to do anything for them. Or you don't have to give them anything. Just have pleasant, friendly conversations. But didn't Jesus say to use our earthly wealth to gain friends? Yes, we can do that also, but it's not exactly the way we thought it is. So much of our missions work is backwards. We think that we make friends by giving people food or clothing or utility money. No. All we do is reinforce the idea that, that, that church people are cheap vending machines when we do this, when we give things to people before we have a relationship. Now, the right order of things is to make an acquaintance and begin to develop that relationship through repeated conversations. It may turn into a friendship. And then as we now have begun to trust each other enough to know what our acquaintance needs, because we've had several conversations, then we can offer what they need. A ride to the doctor, a bag of groceries, a warm coat for their youngest child, maybe a large print Bible, or you can babysit their children one evening so the couple can go have some time together. And then they will quickly become deep friends. But we can use our wealth to make friends in other ways that we don't usually think of. We can invite several people over to lunch or dinner. Or we can give rides to neighbors who can't drive Go take them to the grocery store, a church service, a meeting, or even to the downtown park. We can keep an eye on their neighbors, on our neighbors, and when they go out of town, have a casserole ready to bring over when they come home. We can give children our old computers or a new one. And I've known of church women buying young girls starter sewing machines and giving sewing lessons. But also, you can remember to share the true riches that you found, how to be at peace through prayer, how to accomplish anything through Christ, how to be a loyal spouse, how to be joyful through the Holy Spirit, how faith in God conquers anxiety, and there's so much anxiety in the world. Above all, we have to learn to follow the final teachings of Jesus in this passage, which is that no one can serve two masters, either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money.
Why is this so important to us? Because a focus upon money and wealth becomes a focus upon ourselves. We turn inward, losing touch with the other souls, the other images of God that live around us, and eventually we lose touch with God and Jesus and Holy Spirit. Jesus' teachings in Scripture and the daily guidance of the Holy Spirit are continually telling us that the way to true holiness, the way to develop a good soul, is to reach out and love others. A focus on the accumulation of wealth distorts and damages our image of God because our home becomes our idol. And our retirement account becomes what we worship. And our things become more important to us than the welfare of the other images of God that we call people. Our natural eyes and the eyes of our heart, our ears, our other sensors, they were designed to connect us to the world created by God and to the other images of God who are walking around in this world. It's the ultimate in nearsightedness to turn those senses inward to watch a mere pile of cash and a bunch of stuff, patting ourselves on the back for how big they've become, how tightly we've twisted ourselves into a selfish, miserly creature that worships pieces of paper and shiny minerals when we could be worshiping our creator of the universe who gave his son's life for us and created all this beauty around us. Our world today is filled with everybody who wants to be wealthy and famous and powerful. TikTok is just the latest example. Teens are making short videos and hope they go viral and their currency is the number of views or video gains. For, for those who want the wealth of this world, there's many ways to gain that wealth and fame and power. And it becomes difficult to convince people that this isn't a good way to go. But that's not new. Jesus' words did not go over well with the Pharisees that day. The passage, beyond the point I printed out, continues with verse 14. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's eyes. And so let this scripture be held up to your eyes like a mirror upon your life. How are you using the wealth that you've found in this world? How much do you spend on necessities? How much on luxuries? How much do you put in storage? And how much do you use to make friends for eternity? Do you value the things that are detestable in God's sight? For a friend who has not chosen to follow Jesus is not a friend for eternity, but is at best a short-term acquaintance whom you'll know and then forget. They won't be with us in 10,000 years. A person of great value will be lost to all of us, and that will be very sad. So as Jesus said, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Be a trustworthy steward of what God has put you in charge of during your time in this life. For how much is it worth to you to have friends of in eternity? God thought it was worth his son's life to open the door for you and others. 
Perhaps you can share some worldly wealth to guide people through that door. The Gideons have chosen to spend their own wealth sharing the gospel with people, both locally and around the world. Perhaps you have some wealth to share for their mission. Perhaps you have some time to share in that mission. Perhaps you have some wealth that the Holy Spirit's guiding you to use in another way to make friends for the kingdom of God. By now, we each should have a list of people we know who probably don't know Jesus. I'll remind you once again to pray for them daily and speak to them weekly or monthly that they may come to know Jesus. So come forward during our song to pray for those people you know who are lost. For if you don't pray for them, who will? As Sam said earlier, God answers those prayers. Or you might even want to slip in a prayer for yourself. Come forward as we sing a hymn that is from Ghana, where the Gideons have distributed, what, 800,000 Bibles to kids recently? Number 432. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the Give tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.